Hey everyone, you are now tuning into the Level Up Time podcast. I am your host, Chris Hernandez. Stay tuned for video game talk and educational technology. Now, it's time to level up. Today's episode was originally recorded for The Rebecca Listener, a podcast series about Rebecca's school, which is a school for children with autism and other neurodevelopmental delays. In this episode, Chris, along with occupational therapist Allison Johnson and Morgan Weissman, discuss how tech groups at the school came to fruition and what they look like today. Hi everybody, this is Tony Tatora, Rebecca School's Clinical Director. I'm here with... Chris Hernandez. Allison Johnson. Morgan Weissman. And I'm hijacking the podcast today to switch things up a bit and interview Chris um, about his really cool group. So Chris, Allison, Morgan, tell us a little bit about what you guys do, how it started, and um, kind of where you see this group going. So about a, about a year ago, um, you know, I had already decided that I wanted to continue to work with students, but somewhere within the tel- te- uh, tel- tech realm, I can't say it, can't speak right now, somewhere within the tech realm, I wanted to do some work within. And, you know, this whole idea of, you know, teaching students how to code and make video games came up in my mind. So I spoke to Tina about it. I started my first group. And we started with building like a small little Raspberry Pi. All right, so hold on a second here. Now you're talking about Tina McCord, who is our director, and you're telling her that you want to start a group about video games. Yes. And pretty much Rebecca School is screen free. So tell us how you got that off the ground. So exactly how I got that off the ground. That's a great question. Um, So typically, you know, no one, especially within this field, wants students to be on screens. Um, But... First, how I pitched it was, you know, the internet was going to be down, these computers, especially the Raspberry Pi, which originally what we were going to use, it came with installed applications for coding only, and that's the only thing that the students would be able to do. Um, So although we'd be looking at a screen, we'd be using it in a more functional way than a student would normally be using it at home to, you know, surf the internet and stuff like that. So that's how I got Tina to really say the okay on on that one. And um, then as it evolved, I realized the Raspberry Pi wasn't strong. And what I mean evolved is we got into making our own cat, like drawing our own characters and then scanning them and then drawing them on the computer. And then I soon realized that the Raspberry Pi wasn't powerful enough um, for everything that we were trying to do. And so we wound up moving over to my two gigantic iMacs that I have here in the room. And at first, obviously, I was scared because they're connected to the internet. And, you know, you can easily click on Chrome or any browser and start doing whatever you want. Um, But by this point, the group that I had first founded was so interested in this concept of, like, coding and, like, designing their own video game and, like, getting to that endpoint that 
they didn't even care about what was there, what was installed on the computer. And they would essentially come in and start up Game Maker Studio, which is the program that we use, and just start working straight in the program. So we're in the floor time model. That's what we focus on here at Rebecca School, DIR, floor time. Um, and it sounds like you really were able to form that capacity too, that shared attention, that joint attention, that kind of solidified the group to make it not necessarily about what was happening on the computer, but also what was happening amongst the group members. Yes, yes. So especially, especially for young students, it's like who doesn't love video games? Um, and I think the greatest example of this is, you know, in my first group, two students really didn't get along, but when they came into this space, they not only had each other's shared attention, but they had that shared interest. So within that first group, you know, the students, their, their R wasn't strong, so their relationship wasn't strong with each other. Um, but you know, that shared attention really brought them together and helped them to learn each other's individual differences. Um, and realize that, you know, they're working towards the same common goal. So you've taken this this video game gaming group and um, it was going so well with just you in it and working with the students, having that capacity to opening and closing circles of communication and really starting to think and plan um, on how to expand these, these ideas that they had. So why did you bring in two occupational therapists to support the group? So, as you said, the groups were going so so well. Well, that group was going so well. It went in actually two different directions from there. I wanted to start a group with younger students from, from the floor below, which is where Allison came in. And I particularly didn't have a relationship with those students. I didn't know them very well. Allison has a really great relationship with them. And they're very sensory-based students. But So I wouldn't know how to help co-regulate with them and again that's where Allison came in and as she'll speak to this you know the, that group evolved in a different way than my first group so my first group you know they they come in they're already at that at like capacity five six when they come into this room um maybe I'll dial that back a little bit maybe they're they're at capacity like four or five and the other group you know they weren't even at capacity one coming into this group um, they weren't so they weren't regulated at all, and so Allison instituted kind of like a movement aspect to the video games, to the video game group, and really doing like video game movement game in itself, like outside in the hallway, to, you know, to get our bodies ready to sit down and work on the computer. Um, and then on the other side of it, Morgan came to me about my first group, and she was running, she she is running, we are running, um, a science group with those original three students from the first group and, and our classroom teacher, uh, their classroom teacher. Um, so I'm actually, I guess I'll let them talk about how they got involved and where things went from there. So Allison, tell us how you picked the students for the younger gaming group and, and how you got that started. So originally, um, so originally Chris had brought up the idea of wanting to expand his computer group to younger students within the school. Um, but he wanted to be very, very thoughtful and mindful about who would be appropriate for the group and who's kind of ready for a group like this. So I thought of three students that I work with instantly. I'm making a face instantly. 
Um, I thought of three students instantly of who he could possibly work with. And, well, one of the reasons, the first reason I thought of these three students was one, because I know they love video games. They talk about it very often. They talk about it with each other. They talk about it to their teachers. Um, and secondly, these are three students that are very, very brave, very, very smart, um, are very related, can reach higher capacities in the context of meaningful and playful interactions, but also benefit from sensory supports, sensory input while engaging in higher capacity interactions. So for me, thinking about them in my OT mind of my goals for them um, in Rebecca school and then life outside of Rebecca school of being able to kind of think about their video games in a different way because it is a huge passion for many of them, but think about them in a more the what's behind a video game and fostering like positive relationships and positive friendships among them and also working on their ideation and a lot of other OT-based skills that can be worked on within the group. And I think a perfect thing to add on to that is, you know, when we when I when we first started that second group, you know, and Allison warned me going into it, she she and we can say this, it's it she basically told me this is not going to be like your first group. Mm -hmm. Like we're not going to hit the ground running, like things aren't right. going to work smoothly. And in the beginning it was a huge fail. Like I had actually even said openly to Allison like you know, this, I don't think this is going to work out. Mm -hmm. Like, I really don't think this group is going to work out. And I think that this is kind of an L for my idea, but I said, no. And she, and she said, no. And <laughs> I said no. Well, what, what were some of the struggles early on with the students that are kind of at those lower developmental capacities, but you know, with the right supports, they can rise. Right. So when our first group that we ever had was it was abstract thinking. It, it was, yeah, so that abstract thinking, so those higher capacities, like four, five, six, seven, thinking of those higher capacities of being able to ID and think about what goes into a video game. So our first group that we had, um, the boys came down, and we were in the hallway, which is not a good therapeutic space of where we were. Good. So when we first started, I didn't really know what Chris really did in his groups. I knew they made a video game. I didn't know everything that went into it but I know my students really well. And when we first came down, um, Chris was like, okay, let's talk about what a video game is and gave a lot of, we gave a lot of open-ended questions without a lot of support behind it and not as much scaffolding and verbal narration behind it. So our, my students, our students found that very challenging to be able to answer those questions in terms of they play Minecraft, that's what they know. They play Roblox, that's what they know. And we were asking them to think outside of it of what really goes into it and kind of delving into those higher capacities of, yes, you play something on a screen, but what do you think happens before that? What kind of video game would you make if you could make one? And those were really challenging questions. And also, um, when they were down here, as an occupational therapist, I was reading their body, looking at how their body was moving, looking at what kind of input they were craving. Um, either they were sedentary or moving very quickly. So then that kind of translated into we need to do something grounding, something organizing, some type of organized movement for them to do to get them at capacities one through three in order for them to then answer higher capacity questions. And so the funny thing about like where it went from there is that we couldn't, like Allison just said, you know, the students didn't understand those abstract questions. And so going back to basics, we sat down and we were like, what are we gonna do? And so I decided to order this thing called a Kano computer, well, a Kano laptop. 
So it was basically, we were going to start from square one and just build a computer and, and just do it. So we, we ordered this small little computer made for students and week by week, we put it together until finally, like as a team, um, rather than someone individually being pointed out to turn the computer on, we turned the computer on all together, which is what kind of led into like our, our togetherness aspect of the group of realizing that it wasn't about using a screen or realizing it wasn't about the video games or making the video games, but it's about all of us being aware and understanding each other um, and taking turns and stuff like that. So then that kind of led into Allison. No, I was going to say, but I think that that's a really positive reflection that we had going into this because, correct me if I'm wrong, but I know for your older group, you started the other way. We started the other way, yeah. being able to talk about abstract yeah. thoughts about video games and then going into actually building them, whereas for students that can't go to those higher capacities instantly, we need to support them as floor timers and as mm -hmm. therapists, support them to get there. So... I remember Chris and I were talking and I was like, we just need to do it. Like we, they need to do something physically to make that connection to then support them to be successful in what they're thinking about. And, and then when we, we review all the video and we, we look at those things and everything, it's like all their, their shared attention was perfect. Mm -hmm. they, they were always looking at the same item. They were looking uh, at the manual for what to do next and everything. And that really led into our next thing that we were doing, which was hack Minecraft. So, the students love talking about Minecraft and love playing Minecraft. So there's this game on a Kano computer called Hack Minecraft, which essentially you can't play the game unless you do a coding exercise to build something. And like, and when I say that, people out there are probably listening and they're like, oh my God, like, okay, so they got to the teaching stage about teaching coding and everything. But like, it, it wasn't about the coding because once it starts hard to explain, and maybe maybe Allison could explain it better than I can. But when we started the coding, it was like everyone had a job to do. So someone moved the mouse, someone entered the digits in and stuff like that, and everything. And then someone clicked on stuff. And we had they had to learn to work in unison with each other mm -hmm. in order to get these jobs done. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of teamwork yeah. had to be had to be the foundation here to to read each other, to kind of make sure everybody's working in sync together. Mm -hmm. And um, if that foundation of not being able to work together wasn't there, mm -hmm. the, game, the gaming group wouldn't be mm -hmm. as successful. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so like after, and then, I mean, the video game group is still going on today. And they've we've moved past working with Hack Minecraft, and we've moved into Scratch, which is a visual space for coding. So it's very similar to Hack Minecraft, where it's like all drag and drop blocks and stuff like that. And um, they still have to work as a team, uh, same concept, but they're actually building something that's their own. And that leads to that abstract piece of like, where do video games come from? Mm -hmm. So they're building a video game through drag and drop coding and actually seeing it come to life like right next to them. So they have that visual piece to help with that abstract thought. Mm -hmm. um, and then moving moving past that, where Morgan came in, um, and Morgan, I'll let you explain this, but Morgan came to me with the idea of joining their science group. Yeah, so I came to Chris and invited him to join science group because I was working with the students that he was working with in computer group, and Chris had developed such this 
this wonderful relationship where the students were really engaged and interested and Chris was a really motivating person in their program. And I think we're so lucky at Rebecca School that we can be a part of a team and we can be really flexible. So having Chris join our, what turned into science group was really helpful for the students' regulation because I was newer to them in the beginning of the year as their therapist and they had developed this really rich relationship with Chris. So just having Chris in the environment and in the space was already supporting the students' regulation and their comfort level. Um, so we were, were collaborating with the classroom teacher, Alexa, who was unable to join us today. But basically where we started was I wanted, we wanted to create this group where the students can come together, relate, think, communicate, and similar to your and Allison's group, be a part of a team. Because in order to be successful in the world, mm -hmm. you have to be able to be a part of something bigger than just yourself and be able to read people's emotions and affects and respond and work on your emotional control. So that was kind of my idea for wanting to create this group. And we first started as an OT. I'm very into sensory play, but we had to adapt it to meet some of our older students' needs. So that's kind of where science group came from, where we could still do the sensory, tactile, exploratory play, but make it a little more academic and chronologically more appropriate. So what are some of the things that you do in science group? Some of the things we do in science group, so we started by just getting an idea of from the students of what science means to them because we wanted our students, we wanted to see what was in their heads and science means something different to me than it means to Chris or to you or Allison. So we started with just having the group come together and we got paper, pencils, crayons, markers, and we had them draw pictures of what they thought science was. And it was really awesome to see everybody's different idea. And we also, as therapists and teachers, took part in the activity and we all took the time to draw and then share ideas together. And from there, we... What were some of the ideas that the students shared? So the students spoke about a range of topics from DNA to fingerprints, <laughs> which relates to one of our students' interests who is very, who loves law and order. Mm -hmm. So that's what science meant to him. Whereas other students were talking about animals. Um, I'm looking at some of the pictures right here. This was a very long time ago. One of the students drew a picture of somebody mixing chemicals. One of the students drew um, different countries. We talked about robots in that group. And then once you had all this information from the students, what was your what were your next steps? So our next steps was, and it, it didn't, it wasn't clear to us what our next steps was. And I think this is something that happens a lot in these type of groups. We continue to meet and we continue to draw and we continue to share ideas and talk. And then Chris, Alexa, and I came together and we said, you know what, we now that we have all the students' interests and ideas, let's kind of find one activity where we can share attention around that will incorporate their interests and, and passions and also be motivating and help them to think 
and because they right after science group they go to computer group mm -hmm. and coding which is something I know nothing about still was very much on their minds and that's where we started talking about robots and Chris came up with the idea that we can build a robot car so of course the respectful thing to do was to bring the idea to the group and kind of reflect on all of the ideas they've shared and support them and you now this is one of our ideas which I think for these students they are we're at a point where they could they can accept a person's idea and be motivated and engaged to join and that's where we introduced the robot car that we're building now and I think as the group went on it was a big learning curve for us we continuously had to change environments mm -hmm. and find that just right challenge what do you mean by change environments what did you have to do so the first environment that we were in was too much stuff was it a classroom it was the gardening room okay and the gardening room is also has a refrigerator in it and some kitchen appliances and it's a really really big space and like four couches couches yeah. <laughs> so as an OT I'm always thinking about their posture and how that's supporting their optimal arousal and ability to attend and it was just a really big physical space where it was hard for us to come together and share mm -hmm. attention so from there we went into the conference room and we had this really long table with chairs so now their posture was more supported but we found that the actual table was was too long mm -hmm. and of course we kept encouraging the students to come join us all together on one side but slowly and slowly rolling chairs would start to inch away mm -hmm. <laughs> so then we started more of a new routine where we actually have been meeting and this is I think been the most successful so mm -hmm. far but the first half of the group we started meeting and kind of what Allison was not kind of exactly what Allison was talking about we started incorporating more sensory motor play so we started with gross motor games such as red light green light mm -hmm. and um, scooter boards and trampolines and hot potato and not even talking about science group and really just using those 30 minutes to come together as a group, acknowledge each other, attune to each other, and get everybody regulated. And then after those 30 minutes, we went to an another location, which was really is really helpful for the students because they are able, it helps with that beginning, middle, and end piece where they know that after the gross motor games are done, we're all gonna move, we're walking the stairs, we're getting in some nice heavy work, and we're going to another location. Mm -hmm. And that's where we sit and we work on our car project, which we are building a robot car. And, and I think this is the fun part about floor time and what we do and working as a team is where you don't know where the group is gonna go. And I think mm -hmm. if you would have asked me six months ago if I thought this is where our group would be now, I, I couldn't have seen it going this way. So currently what we're working on, the first 30 minutes, we've actually kind of got past those gross motor games, which are still important to their sensory systems, but it's something that is also incorporated into their school day. And we are working now more on self-regulation. So we started to introduce the a modified version of the zones of regulation curriculum because 
our students in this group are they know what to expect it's predictable a routine and they come ready to learn and now they're able to access a different part of their brain and sensory system where they're able to start to talk and identify their emotions and how they're feeling and this is kind of just created this safe space for us to come together. So what about the four-time model, DIR, and, um, and your students makes you stick with the group and not give up because it's not working at the beginning? I think what I've learned from being at Rebecca's school and four-time is that just because something works on Monday but doesn't work on Tuesday doesn't mean that it's a failure or that a student is regressing or that you're doing anything wrong. I think what we're really good at at Rebecca School is meeting students where they are that day, that hour, even down to the minute and st sticking through the hard times. And we've, we've had ruptures in our group and we've had days where some group members weren't ready to participate and other group members weren't ready to participate. And Chris, Alexa, and I have really been able to communicate and co-regulate with each other to support the emotional regulation of the group and bring awareness to the other group members that, oh, your, your friend or your, this group member is feeling this way. Can, can you relate to that? Have you ever experienced that? And we've all been able to come together as a group and support each other and empathize and, and problem solve to build each other up emotionally and support each other's confidence and self-esteem. and really create these relationships because at the end of the day it's not for this group it's not about building the car which i hope we finish because it is an exciting project <laughs> but it's about creating relationships and feeling safe in a relationship and being a part of something bigger than just yourself i think it also sounds to me that the reflective practice between the staff is a huge piece of, cons of mm -hmm. continuously talking about what worked, what didn't work, mm -hmm. and um, did you guys schedule meetings with that? Was it kind of informal? I think in the beginning, like all groups, it was kind of like just passing by, talking to each other, and I think that's why it didn't work in the beginning, because although the groups may be chaotic um, in the beginning because you don't know where things are going to go, mm -hmm. Um, you, you need that conversation piece between you and your coworkers. Um, that way you can reflect on things that have happened and talk about what, what can you do better next time to help support the students um, in what's going on. Um, and then eventually it basically led to scheduled meetings. Yeah, and we're lucky as Chris being the media specialist, we always have the camera and just the importance of videoing and being able to reflect on your work has been really helpful just to have that video and being able to watch video and then calling each other up on the phone and being like, oh, did you see that? Check video A and get to this part. Like, that was awesome. Did you see how they were sharing attention or did you see how they were problem solving? So when Morgan was talking about her group with Chris, I could relate a lot to that and we could relate to that too in the terms of thinking about and talking about therapeutic space because our group moved a lot also. As I said, we started in a hallway and then we moved into a conference room also. Yeah, and it then kinda we followed the same pattern. pattern. And then there was one day after the conference room day where I was like, Chris, we need to have a meeting. I was like, I can't work like this. But no, but in terms of like making it successful for the group 
And it's true. I mean, the what Morgan exactly said, there's rolly chairs in there, and we saw the exact same thing. If slowly those chairs would move a little inch by inch away from the table sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think having that collaboration is what's really helpful. And in terms of Morgan and I looking at our students from our OT lens and our goals for them and Chris's goals for them and his group need to be spoken about and need to be out in the open of what we want out of this group and how we want to support them to be successful in this group. So I think we're working in this model, in the floor time model, and being able to do groups like this is really beneficial. I think when I started incorporating movement into the group and Chris was so on board with it and completely understood why they needed movement in terms of they were coming in, they were moving really fast. I was like, they need to do some kind of sensory motor input to get them to a state of regulation. And to me, I think that's a beautiful thing within the floor time model is that we look at our kids' individual differences and we think more of like, how can we support their individual differences to be successful in something that is academically challenging, to be successful in something that is going to challenge them, like thinking about making a video game or coding or anything like that. Whereas I would never want to kind of think the opposite way of, oh, they're not ready to do it. Mm -hmm. More like, no, they can do it and they want to do it and this is something that's a passion for them and that they're motivated for. So how can we, as therapists that have great relationships with these kids, be able to support them to make them successful? We actually canceled computer group for this this podcast, <laughs> the students' hearts were broken. Yeah. <laughs> what will they, they say? Not well <laughs> <laughs> it was not well received oh. at all. Something else that I'm thinking, I was thinking about as Allison was talking, uh, just this idea of being genuine in our groups and having this shared experience not only for the students but for us. So, sorry, Chris, I'm going to out a little bit of your sensory profile for a moment. But Chris doesn't like what I learned from this group, messy play. And we were able to kind of share that experience in the group. And he had really genuine affect. And I think our kids pick up so much on affect and what 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 is real versus when we're faking it. Mm-hmm. Versus then when we kind of went to the next part of the group with the building, I could not figure out how to work the screwdriver. And I was not faking it, and it was genuine, and it was real, and Chris and the rest of the group supported me in figuring out how to maneuver the, the screw. It, it is a weird screwdriver. I've never <laughs> seen it before. It's... But Chris, tell us a little bit about your sensory system, so you don't like to touch things that are what? Um, I hate shaving cream. Sorry, Chris. Uh, I hate uh, liquids. Uh-huh. Um, I guess anything in that that kind of realm. Yeah. 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 I think that's important to remember too is that we all have our own individual differences as adults um, and that does play a, a huge part in it and we have to make sure we're a goodness of fit in a group, right? We're goodness of fit with the with our staff who are leading groups with but also goodness of fit of students because if that was an all-in shaving cream group you may have been just holding the camera. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I would, it's not a may. I would have just been holding the camera the entire time. And Fine motor type activities are, even though I'm an OT, are still sometimes challenging and produce this anxiety. And I was really nervous having everybody watch me as I tried to 
maneuver the screwdriver, mm-hmm. but I felt, I think, safe in the space. I felt safe with my coworkers, and again, we really worked really hard to create this teamwork type of attitude and support. And I think, like, the relationship piece is really important through these groups in the sense that when Morgan and Chris started their group, Chris had a really great relationship with these students, and now Morgan is able to have a really great relationship with these students, and kind of vice versa with, like, my students. I had really strong relationships with with them. Chris didn't know them as well, and now you are a very prominent person in their life within this building. And it's really cool, I think, to see those relationships develop between staff and students. And I think it's because when we work in these groups, we are a part of the group. There's not really a distinction between a teacher and a student. We're all doing this together. Everyone's taking a turn at the same time. Everybody's doing the movements. And I think that kind of speaks to the respect that we have for our students and the respect that we have to each other and being supportive and really being a team and not just we're running a group for students but we're doing this group with students yeah and what Allison's talking about respect it's at the end of the day it's it's their group it's mm-hmm. we have to meet their needs and as Tony was talking about before like their needs change on a day-to-day basis even an hour-to-hour basis and even if a group member was to bring something to the group that maybe didn't fit the cookie cutter science group activity I think it we have been working on having that student check mm-hmm. in with the rest of the group and making sure that it's something that everybody else is also able to talk about. And if it's not at that moment, making sure that that student has that space to process whatever was on their mind. So we're kind of like running out of time right now. Um, so before we end, I actually just wanted to take something from earlier that I, I believe either Morgan or Allison said. Um, Because I think it's really important for people, like, not only for, like, people at home, for parents and everything to hear, but also for, like, educators and tech educators um, and people like that, is that it's not about coding, it's not about the video games, it's not about the screen time, it's not about finishing the robot and everything, and I, I think that's really important to reiterate because it was about building that relationship with each other because we have a common goal and in the real world as Morgan said you know we have to work in groups with each other we have to work with other people so there has to be a way that we can learn how to do that and I wish Alexa could have been with us today um, because I think that that homeroom teacher educator aspect of it would have been really nice for everyone to hear um, because she used to vouch all the time but still does vouch but she I remember in the beginning with my first group she used to vouch about how their relationship within the classroom had improved right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so this isn't something that's just happening in one place it's carrying over it's what helped you know like form science group and then form their relationships in the classroom and help everything get better for for their learning yeah, I think mm-hmm. being the ability to empathize is mm-hmm. definitely one of the biggest goals we have for all of our students, and we've seen that natural progression in this group. So we reached the end of the podcast. Thank you, Chris, for letting me steal your spotlight. And now here's your floor time to talk about floor time. So, I mean, I really want to point out the I in mm-hmm. DIR, so individual differences. I mean, that 
was a big piece that we talked about. You all out there know a little bit about my individual differences now towards shaving cream. Sorry. Um, but I think that's a really important aspect of forming groups because that is going to help you judge where to go or help you like create your plan of where the group's going to go because it just lays that foundation for every student learns differently. So how do I adapt my teaching plan to each student in order to help form a group for them? Something that I've been thinking about recently is the co-regulation between the adults and the staff in the group or in a session or just in the environment and being able to communicate non-verbally with other staff to support my own regulation because especially in this group and other groups there's a lot of emotionally charged situations and events happening and it's important as the staff to support and stay regulated and one way that I've been able to do that in this group is through Chris and through Alexa and just our nonverbal communication and using using the um, adults and staff around you to support your own regulation because being regulated for our students is really important and in order for our students to maintain regulation we have to be regulated and that can be challenging at times so knowing who to co-regulate with in your environment and how to communicate with people. And Allison. So I have been thinking about the D in DIR in terms of development. And when I think about development, I think about growth that we see in our students. And I think sometimes growth is kind of measured like quantitatively in terms of things and how are kids progressing and where are we seeing the results from what they're doing. And I think a big piece of what we've been talking about in this podcast specifically, um, which Chris and Morgan have touched on a lot in terms of the growth that they've seen in their students in terms of empathy and understanding that you are part of a whole and that in life you are going to have to be a part of a team in whatever they do in life outside of these walls. And I think that kind of growth and ability that we're able to see in our students is not, it's not rewarding, but it's just bettering their lives that they can be successful in whatever they go on and do. Or for our group with that I uh, support Chris with in terms of their growth in maintaining regulation during something that is very academically challenging and very academic or very challenging for their individual differences and that's growth and growth and perseverance and growth of knowing that because I have been supporting their individual differences and we all look at their individual differences that they're then able to succeed in things that challenge them thank you everybody that's the end of our podcast bye bye bye, bye.